Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. happened. <laughs> I put my arm on the armrest and it slipped and I fell. Aw, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, today was a very fun episode. Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like you bring treasures sometimes. I, I have a skill, yeah. y'all. I do. do I'm a people skill. treasure finder. <laughs> um, I generally say to Danae, some of you have heard me say this before, that my uh, I like to use the would I have a beer with this person hmm. as my like barometer for like do I really like them? <laughs> and for sure, I would have many beers with this person. I would definitely sit and have just like a, a legitimate friendly convo with him. Um, but see, this I find funny about you what? because I feel like you would do that with anybody. Like it feels like it's a larger statement when I go out and have a drink with someone. Like you could talk to everyone. Like, I could. I to how can. much you like someone. No, I can. It doesn't mean that I want to. Hmm. You know, like I can yeah. if I have to. It's not really like <laughs> as an extrovert, it's not really any skin off my teeth to like have a conversation. But would I call you and actively choose to go out and spend time with you? That means something. You would opinion. be thrilled to go out and have I a would beer be thrilled. with this guy. <laughs> Understandably. Um, he's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Want to read? You want to read the official? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like just like sitting we'll just talk in the about him. like he's amazing. We loved him. <laughs> yes, but Dr. Scott Lyons is a holistic psychologist, educator, and author. As a renowned body trauma expert, doctor of 
osteopathy, and mind-body medicine specialist. Scott helps people break free from cycles of pain, limited beliefs, and trauma. Scott Scott is an innovator in transformative wellness and trauma therapy, teaching over a half million people internationally to relieve stress and restore vitality. Scott has worked with many of the top leaders and CEOs as an executive coach and wellness consultant. Man, here's what. He's hella smart. Um, what you, what were you saying yesterday? Like he's not just book smart, but he's like, he's got it all kind of covered. He's got it all. You know? No, he's like, like I genuinely, I'm like, you might be the smartest person I've ever sat down and had a conversation with. He's legitimately brilliant. Yeah. Um, I had him on a live a a few months ago. He just came out with his new book called, um, are you addicted to drama? Which Mm. we plug a little bit in the, in the podcast, but you all should read it. I've got it on my bookshelf. It's really good. Um, but he's just got this really amazing way of kind of blending in his incredible intelligence. And he's like, he's just, it's one of those things where when you're hearing the conversation, you'll actually hear us laugh about it, where we're like, what have you not done? You know, mm-hmm. where, what have you not studied? Like, he's taken every program. He studied everything. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't feel, like, pretentious. There's not, like, a I'm so much smarter than you. Like, he's so kind of grounded and easy to talk to and funny. He just happens to also have an insane amount of intelligence, um, which is probably partly why I like him so much because he, like, walks his walk and talks his talk, you know? Yeah. He just has an immediate, like you're in this immediate experience of like you melt into safety with him. He's so fun. He's so hilarious. You're having the best time in his presence, but also learning so much and a little bit in awe of, to your point, his mind and what he has accomplished with his life. You're like, my God, this is amazing. Um, But just like the best time. Yeah. I kind of want to have him back on too. Like he's somebody who I feel like if there's like certain topics or something mm-hmm. that we want to go into more that we actually should have him on as almost like the third person to dig into it with because he brings such a different and unique perspective because of all the different kind of backgrounds he has and how they merge. Um, yeah. So if if you're listening to this, maybe, and, and you are kind of inspired by the conversation, if there is something that you want us to address and maybe have him kind of give his opinions on, shoot us an email uh, and maybe we can do like a, another you know, part two with him, but we can address some like viewer questions that might be or listener questions. That might be an interesting way to Great idea. suck him back in. <laughs> we just want more Dr. Scott. We Let's just want more of them. <laughs> yes. All right, y'all enjoy. We have Dr. Beyonce in the house. Oh, you love my pronouns. You love, <laughs> you love my pronouns. Oh, Scott. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> I feel like we have, you know, I have now like talked to you or interacted with you a lot in a very short amount of time. We went from like not really engaging and kind of like she's, watching she, each other. I feel like we have an issue of being frozen <laughs> is what we have. What do we have? But like, you know, like we were kind of watching each other from afar and then suddenly we started like, I did a live with you and then I was, and I feel like Wait. now we're talking, I'm like, I love your energy. Can you just be around me all the time? <laughs> I, I can. Uh, send me your address again. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I, I totally thought we lived in the same state. I won't so say I. which state because we both have stalkers, um, slash friends. And, uh, <laughs> I thought you were in my state. You thought I was in your state. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very yeah. sad about that. And um, we woke up this morning finding out that that's not true. Oh. And that was, 
that was a hard morning for me. I'm not going to lie. I'd love to yeah. process it with you. <laughs> I need, I need one of those therapy hugs one cause I can't afford therapy. So I need something cheaper than therapy. Like, uh, yeah, like a hug. I like that. Yeah. That was a good something plug. Yeah. Historic yeah. About people feeling like they're close to you, but they're really far away. Mm. Mm. Oh, you're going right into you that. You wanted you? to process. Therapy hum. Y'all are going to get a lot What's of therapy hum. This is why I don't go on other therapists' podcasts. Just to be clear, uh, my walls are now up. I just want. to... <laughs> Uh, well, Scott, I'm so glad to have you here and introduce you and all your amazingness to our listeners. Um, we usually, because we are therapists and we like to know the background, we do kind of turn yeah. it over and always ask what got you here, right? Like take us on the journey of how you became who you are and like what you're doing in this realm now. Oh my gosh. I, I think a never ending need to do something fresh and new and mm. keep the old at the same time. Um, do you remember that Girl Scout song? It might have. Uh, I was a Girl Scout for a year when I was younger. Um, Make new friends, but yeah, keep the, the old, old one is silver in the end. There's gold. I know they took it from somewhere else, but I know it from Girl Scouts. Okay. Um, and whatever hate I mail you're you about to that. get because I was in Girl Scouts, enjoy it. Um, All, bring it on. <laughs> bring it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, I feel like that was a motto I really internalized of mm. like, keep, keep the old, but keep bringing in the new. Mm. And so like, I would go get one degree in like dance. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what public health is like. And then I would was like, oh, public health is cool. I wonder what psychology is like. And I was like, oh, psychology is cool. I wonder what medicine is like. Mm. Um, and, um, a lot of money and education later. <laughs> built by the fire of curiosity um here i am and um yeah i just i always just had this passion and this this desire to learn and um you know some of it certainly was motivated by the fact that i had extremely severe learning disabilities as a child and mm -hmm. was told um a that i was stupid that back then they used uh, those type of words. Yes, back. yes, they did. And um, and was told I would never even graduate high school, mm. which um, thank goodness I was so obstinate towards authority figures that I was like, oh, well, fuck you. I'm going to go get five graduate degrees. And yep. I did. Oh, um, <laughs> they said the right thing in that way. Mm -hmm. It's good fuel. But um, so part of it, you know, was motivated towards that of like, ooh, but really it was this constant hunger for like, how do we put all the pieces together in the world? How do we really understand what a human is? And like, I really like, you know, I study anthropology and I'm just like, oh, that's an interesting aspect of knowing what it's like to be human. And I think one of the, the final pieces I got to was like an actual internal embodied experience, mm. which was so elusive to me as a child that I, I wanted to search for it in all these other ways from an academic lens and put it all together hoping that then I would actually feel more like a human and less like an alien or a dissociated mm -hmm. walking ghost, as I mm -hmm. talk about a lot in my book. Mm. I love that so much, Scott. It's so funny. Vanessa and I were having this conversation yesterday about yeah. 
being the person in the family who has a lot of wanderlust and sort of like goes from thing to thing and everyone being like, oh, that person just is like, you know, lost or whatever. Did you have a sense that like, no, I'm really clear. This is just me as a curious person. Or did you think there was something wrong with you that you quote wrong, (laughs) that you couldn't land on a thing that you were meant to do with your life? Do you know what I mean? No, because they always kept the old. Like Mm. I'm an entrepreneur now and I have a several companies, but I never have let go of my old companies, even though people mm. are like, you need to let go and move forward. I'm like, mm. no, they all, I love seeing where things connect the correlative mm. points in the world and, um, and, or in my life. Mm. Uh, and to me, it's just really exciting. So I did have wanderlust. I've, I've lived in a lot of different countries. Mm. At one point for work, I was traveling 10 and a half months a year. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and yeah, I I never felt lost. I just mm-hmm. felt like in process. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So, I still yeah, feel I wonder- like I'm in process. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, are we always, right? I mean, hopefully, I don't know. Um, yeah. I wonder too, when you say this idea of like searching for that embodied experience, mm-hmm. as somebody who went to school first, right, to be a dancer, Mm-hmm. How does that work? Because I feel like people who go and like pursue mm-hmm. dance at like a master's level degree, you know, mm-hmm. um, have some sense of being embodied. But the way you talk about it, maybe you didn't. I don't know. I mean, when I was like a, a ballerina, like uh, there was a lot of ways you override sensation, you override yes. pain. I mean, yes. I used to dance in point shoes and like mm-hmm. it's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. And I was really good at overriding that and being like, it's okay. It's for the greater good or some bullshit like that, yeah. which, you know, the beauty of codependency right there. Um, and yeah, I, I think that a lot of us can move without being inhabited within ourselves. Like certainly it makes a better dancer, but I, I mean like the amount of things we did, uh, including not eating, yes, starving ourselves to maintain a body image in order to have the profession, like, you can't be both present and do those types of things to your body um, at the same time. So such a good point. My old roommate was um, a Juilliard flute player. And so we knew a lot of the Juilliard ballerinas. And I remember even at like my early twenties kind of standing back and being like, these women are Mm. beautiful. And like, there was a lot of the word that's coming up right now, right. Is Gabor Mate's hungry ghosts. Like there was a Mm. lot of that feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. these beautiful hungry ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. We were hungry. Literally and and (laughs) figuratively, right? I was hungry. I was fucking hungry. And (laughs) most of my friends were eating toilet paper to to satiate themselves, you know? Mm. Like that was the that was the snack of choice between rehearsals. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I love that phrase that you said, a lot of us can move without being embodied, though. I think Mm -hmm. there's something in that that just feels like such a broader conversation about the way that we move through life. Um, Yeah. It's really profound. Yeah. I mean, like, we can go to the gym and you're like, yeah, I I know my body because I work out. And I'm like, no, you know a certain decibel of sensation. Mm -hmm. And, like, stretch and pain are high decibel sensations. And more subtle sensations like emotions, the texture of a felt sense Mm. can easily be overridden by the decibel of sensation of stretch and pain and more sensationalist movement. So it's easy to say like, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm just thinking about, I think Vanessa was telling me that you have a background in yoga as well. Mm. And I, I was thinking about like how much when I first came into yoga, like I was all about like the Ashtanga and like the like yeah. really like, you know, like mm-hmm. fiery, like yeah. power yogas. And then over time, like something shifts where there's just so much um, of a need to come into like the slower pace and the mm-hmm. actual like feeling the sensations in a different way. And I think that that's, there's a way that we, through the like um, the fire and the excess mm-hmm. and the big sensations are like outrunning ourselves. Do you know what I mean? I do totally. know what you mean. Yeah. I, and I've done the, you know, I've, I've done the Goldilocks principle of that too, where I studied mm. more like a Yangar, which I would literally, we would hold a headstand for 10 minutes mm-hmm. or like a downward dog for eight minutes. And it's like, there's a lot of room to feel mm-hmm. or avoid <laughs> depending mm. on your, your cup of tea. Mine was a void, um, but also <laughs> at times <laughs> to feel. And, um, you know, after a while, like I was just so saturated and so um, inside the sensation so much that I like forgot how to move. Hmm. I forgot how to action the feelings and the impulses that existed and were arising in me too. And so like there's something about that's so important about being able to action. Hmm. I love that. That sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, my, my brother's here visiting. He's a huge football person and we were all talking about. Tell him I say hi. (laughs) We go way back. We go way back to when we used to play football. (laughs) In between when you're a ballerina. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. You guys are New Yorkers. (laughs) Believe you, a northeast, you know, football, football in our a lot. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, this is very true. But we were having this conversation, like all the guys at the gym, you know, and it's like, mm. and this is why the NFL, so many teams on the NFL do actually implement yoga practices as mm. part of their as part of their actual training now, right? Mm. Um, I mean, this isn't nothing new. This has probably been the last 10, 15 years, but I think it's kind of what you're saying. It's like, now they're probably looking at it from more of like a muscular science perspective, right? I'm sure they're not also looking at it from like the emotional depth that we are, but there is something really important in that. Like if you're going to be the the quote unquote best physically, it is important that you know the Goldilocks principle and understand the highs, but also like, how do my, how do I move at like a muscular level, at a fascia level? Um, and yeah. it, you can't get that from just being in the gym, lifting weights. You've got to be able to do the slower, more my, like the minutia. You got to get into the minutia. Yeah. yeah. The, the, there's such a range, a scale of movement mm-hmm. and attunement to, towards movement. Again, like if we're talking about like that range of decibel of like what's loudest to the brain, mm-hmm. like what's the most distracting versus where there's more room. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, pain is loud because it's meant to be. Right. Stretch is loud because it's needed to be for us to really calibrate where our bodies are in relation to space so we don't get hurt. And so, you know, the more subtle things evolutionarily are considered less, are are less loud because they're considered less immediate and urgent, even though as like Mm -hmm. therapists, we know like that's some bullshit. Mm -hmm. How do you you use that? I'm wondering, like, I mean, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people who are very somatic oriented in their work and I would like to believe I bring some of it in, but do you find that Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, like when you're sitting with a client. Yeah. Let me go back to my original question. When you're sitting with a client, how do you bring forth all of that information and knowledge on the body into your work? Well, I think it's about in 
inviting people back to their primal language, which is the body. So when we come into the world and even before we come into the world, so when we're still in utero, our language of processing is through movement, is through sensation, is through breath. And when we come, when we're birthed into this air world, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we don't lose that language. It's not till we're like two or three, really, do we really fully transfer into our secondary language, which is like English or Spanish or Russian mm -hmm. or German, whatever it is. And it's like, again, what's unfortunate in our society is that we lose the old and gain the new. So going back to that Girl Scout song, whereas it, what's actually really important is that we maintain our primal language, which is our primal way of processing, which is that sensation, our connection to our breath, our movement, and continue it as we add other ways of processing and expressing, which include our secondary language of like, again, Russian, German, English, mm -hmm. Spanish, etc. Hmm. What happens is when we lose that primary language, we cut ourselves off from a deep internal wisdom hmm that then gets us in a lot of stuckness. So when I ask someone, oh, what's present in your body, what's present in your being, when you're talking about this, it's a way back into that primal language where emotions actually metabolize and move. Yeah. As opposed to like, you can't talk through trauma. You can't. Yeah. Sorry, loves. Like we can't just talk our way through something. We have to feel our way through it, which mm -hmm. is that primal language. Mm -hmm. And so do you feel like there was a moment of reckoning for you where you realized that the way that I've been continuing to move through the world is not integrated with um, like that's that sense of embodiment that you're describing? Well, I think what's funny is that I so I started um, embodiment and somatic practices when I was 16. Mm -hmm. um, I dropped out of grad school, <laughs> a grad school class I was taking. At and yeah but <laughs> <laughs> just as, like as, one, as does. one does as one does okay i didn't okay. mean to say it like that but now, now i'm blushing i was just trying to because it, Can it I just really... not like skip over that like you didn't just say what you said please like what i should never have been in that class smart. Okay. I, <laughs> I should never have been in that class it was an advanced biopsychology <laughs> class it was way over my head I had, um, oh my God. I have misophonia and a, a, a girl next to me was eating an unripe banana and I had oh an I had a meltdown. I, I broke down in front of everyone in that class. <laughs> I was 16. I like was also just like too young. I was overwhelmed by the material and I just started I crying. I got up and I ran out the door. And the only class that hadn't started in the university was a class in the dance department called Body Mind Centering. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but I have to take a class because I'm under a specific age where I couldn't not be in school and mm -hmm. have a certain amount of credits. So long story short, I got entered into this class on somatics and I was like, whoa, okay, this mm -hmm. is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was mm -hmm. like, this is what I've, I've, I've like, it was like a pathway back to being me, which um, even at 16, I knew, and I had still been dancing at that point too, but I, I just like, I grew up feeling like 
a walking ghost. Mm. I used to tell my parents as a kid, <laughs> this is why they put me in therapy. I used to say, I don't feel dimensional. I feel like I'm flat. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have the language to say, sure. like, I feel disconnected from my whole being. That feels and, like big language, though. I mean, I, I get a sense. I yeah. feel like if I was your parent, I would get a sense of at least what you were grappling with. But I, that's pretty profound, actually, to be able to grab this idea of, like, mm. I don't feel dimensional at such, I'm assuming, a young age. Yeah, it was like five or six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, Vanessa, why weren't you my parent? <laughs> the things yeah. I regret in this lifetime. <laughs> Our relationship would be very different, Scott. It would be both more weird and less weird. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, here we are, right? Here we are. Now you are somebody who has a litany of trainings and backgrounds. Um, I was telling Danae that you run a – is it considered like a school or like a training center? Like how would you – where you bring in all of like the kind of mm -hmm. somatic heavy hitters and things like that to do the the training? I love that it's somatic heavy hitters. Like eight years ago, you know, like all of us I were know. like, nobody knows who we are. I and mean, like, I, like Peter Levine and like <laughs> Vanderkolk, like Danae and I were just yeah. talking about this. Yeah. They're hot to trot right yeah. now. I mean, like <laughs> Basil's been on like New York Times bestseller for what? Like, I don't know, two years mm -hmm. or something it, crazy like that. Mm -hmm. Get it, Basil. I mean, and I, and I love, you know, I love seeing the fact that they've worked so hard for so many years, mm. pushing against a culture that was just not interested. And then all of a sudden there's just like this opening, massive opening and like, you know, this pedestaling of like the body is where it's at. And here yeah. are these people. Um, but anyways, I have, I, I would call it a platform, a learning platform. Okay. Um, uh, an embodied learning platform called the Embody Lab. And, you know, one of our big missions is making the somatics and embodiment processes um, accessible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of it's very expensive. It takes it, a lot of these programs are three to four years. And we're like, okay, with respect, mm -hmm. can we also offer things that are more financially accessible uh, and more time accessible? And, uh, also accessible in a way that's not limited to psychotherapists. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when we have a big trauma program that's coming up with Peter Levine and, and the somatic heavy hitters, as we should mm -hmm. say. <laughs> um, and, you know, we get the question of like, hey, I'm a school teacher. Can I join? Or, hey, I'm a dentist. Can I join? And we're like, yes. Or I run a nonprofit. Can I join? And it's like, absolutely. This idea that trauma should be, trauma is everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nowhere we will go in this world. My sister's a school teacher. There is nowhere that any of us professionally can go where there isn't a presence of trauma. And so to think that trauma informed should be only in the, uh, in the hands of someone who went to school for four or seven or nine years just doesn't feel right to us. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, there's a degree in which, you know, therapists have this skill set, but a school teacher should know, just like a dentist should know, or an HR uh, person should know how to be in relation to other people to where there is a frozenness, a stuckness of energy or a missed opportunity of time, space, support where things have not had a chance to process and metabolize and recognize 
that the sort of side effects of that doesn't mean that that person is fucked up or ill or anything like that. It means they're gently used human just sorting it out. Mm -hmm. And, and, and um, yeah, so accessibility in that way has been such a key element for us. Okay. I love that. I love the way you speak about trauma, Scott, and in trauma being everywhere. I think some of what I have heard um, in terms of pushback around the way that we are talking about trauma more mm-hmm. collectively now is like, everything's trauma. Mm-hmm. People are making everything <laughs> trauma, you know? And it's like, well, being human is traumatizing. <laughs> like there's like yeah. the, the birth canal is trauma. If you really think about what happens <laughs> yeah. as we're coming. Out. I remember that shit was <laughs> <fucked. laughs> I'm still mad at my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. No, yeah. I appreciate that. I, I think there's a danger in um, the Kleenex phenomenon mm. where it's like, you know, where we just go like, Ooh, I stubbed my toe. I had trauma. Okay. But, and this is where somatic trauma, this is yeah. maybe a little T trauma, or it's like what it's helpful to recognize the boundaries of trauma. And, mm. and one of our boundaries or one of the boundaries I work with is, is it past my capacity to metabolize and process do are there not enough resources available to me mm. because of the culture I live in or the social economic class or uh, my social location or any of these pieces? It doesn't really, you know, there's many reasons. So we can take the shame off the individual for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's imperative. But does it cross the threshold of I can't metabolize and process this and there aren't the resources, the time, the support systems to hold me now or later for some time to process that. And thus my whole being and the environment I'm in and my culture even all try to compensate to do the best that they can. And in those compensations is where we get all of these survival strategies that are oftentimes doing the best they can, but are maladaptive to our inner per- like for our own individual processing, for our relationships, for our process as a culture. So I, I tend to go, I stub my toe and someone goes, is, um, oh, that's a trauma. I might step back and go, if we didn't use the word trauma, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in pain. Okay, what's it like to be with that pain right now? Is that available to you? Or are there ways in which I can be of support or others can be of support to hold the space so that it that what is happening to you can complete itself, that it doesn't get stuck or frozen within you. Yeah. I love the, um, we have a friend and a colleague who's like a trauma researcher and she teaches, you know, college level courses and stuff. And a lot of what she talks about is it's exactly that. It's like, we have to close the loop. It's, it's, you know, and and Levine talks about this a lot too. Like it's physically stuck in your body, right. Until you're able to like make sense of it, reenact it, close that loop. Um, and I've said this before in trainings where I've talked to people and I've said, you know, the old way of looking at trauma was, you know, people would come back from war and we'd be like, well, you got to reenact it over and over and talk about it over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. And then that's going to clear your trauma. And we now know (laughs) that is 100% not how you necessarily clear trauma. Um, That's not helpful sometimes at all, actually. And it is more about the somatic experience and closing the loop somatically, right? But it's about like making sense of it. Yeah. Right. Like outside of self, I think is how she talks about it. Mm -hmm. It, And do you see when I, this idea of making sense of it, I mean, is there like a, 
like a body and a mind that have to kind of come together to make sense of it? Does that make sense? My question? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to answer that in a sideways way. And if I don't get to it, we loop back the question. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. One of the things is I, even though I teach a trauma, I teach a lot of trauma therapy. I, I like to actually start with the realm of stress because Mm -hmm. I think that it's a little more accessible and, and, uh, and important. And then we build up to something called trauma. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the things with stress is, I think it's incredibly, um, <laughs> I think we have, uh, let me say this, I think we're still in a very old school paradigm of stress that hasn't been evolving fast enough with what we actually truly understand of it, or what we originally understood of it, rather. Meaning like the media, you know, and this is not me just dumping on the media now i'll do it later but um <laughs> the, the, it's hot it's sexy to talk about stress in a dramatic way mm. it will get the most clicks if i say stress is going to kill you mm-hmm. so you need to manage your fucking stress and if you can't manage your stress hire me for a thousand dollars an hour you know yeah. it's it's capitalism and it's uh you know fear-mongling mm-hmm. to essentially get people's attention around a very particular hotbed or hot subject, which is like Mm -hmm. stress. And when we look at what stress actually is, which is our biological process of adaptation, it's Mm -hmm. not very sexy. It's not sexy when I, like that's the original definition of it, is it's our biological process of adaptation. And there's, there's four main steps to that biological process. So step one, this is the physiological um, and it's physiological, psychological. So it is body mind in this way. Okay. That's step one. We have activation. Yeah. We have some kind of a contact with what's a, called a stressor. And mm-hmm. our stress response is going, again, it's going to be our whole process of how do we adapt in relation to the stressor? So step one, get activated. Activation, which also is like a hot word to like shit on. Mm-hmm. is paramount if you are not activated you are dead yeah you know yeah <laughs> activation simply means there is a cascading of bio of chemicals and hormones and good shit in your body to raise the amount of energy so that you can adapt that's step one called activation okay super important step two is called mobilization let's take that energy and do something Usually in between is an impulse. Like I have an impulse of how I want to be in, how do I want to adapt? How I want to respond? A baseball is coming at my head. Uh, I'm probably going to catch it or I'm going to move or I'm going to scream, you know, whatever the impulse is. Hmm. And then I mobilize. I take that into action. So I take again, that energy from stage one into stage two. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really important because what often doesn't happen and what we see later on as far as trauma is we never get to stage two. We never mobilize the energy and that energy is what gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And that energy stuck creates all these physiological issues that take us out of homeostasis, meaning that we're no longer able to be a conservationist of our energy, our attention and our emotion. And because of that, we have a fucked up distribution of energy and emotion and attention. 
And that's what actually causes disease, not stress. It's the, it's, it's the incompleteness of this stress cycle. So which was one, step one, activation. Step two, mobilization. Step three, deactivation. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happens in activation, for example, is our muscles tighten to even dislocate our bones slightly to desensitize mm -hmm. our nerves. Pretty fucking cool. God, like if you get punched, fucking amazing. Like, fucking amazing. You, all that tension you feel in your jaw when you quote unquote get activated, it's to dislocate slightly so that you become desensitized in your nerves. So if someone punches your face, you can keep going and adapt. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So that being said, uh, in deactivation, we go from more of a you know heightened stage to more of a feeling stage. Yeah. And a feeling stage is when we go rest and digest, but it's not just food, what we're talking about. It's actually metabolizing and processing the feelings that accompany the process of adaptation. Hmm. So again, if we never get to that rest because we're in this urgency culture, we're never given the time space permission. We also never get to process those emotions hmm. that came along with it. And then this last stage, which, you know, none of us know that much about, it's called recuperation, where we rebuild the energy resources. <laughs> so, yeah, right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Where we rebuild the energy resources to keep being in this process of adaptation. Mm. And, and when that process keeps getting thwarted, then we're in the realm of trauma. Mm -hmm. Or, wow. in, yeah. I'm just thinking like, Personally, I'm thinking about being 25 and going into yoga. Oh, yikes. <laughs> hey. I remember hey. you at 25. Okay, was, we'll go there. We'll go I was there. a little angry, but, you know, other than that. But I, going... I loved your Ava Levine phase at 25. Your Alanis <laughs> Morris at karaoke nonstop 25-year-old self. Listen, was 25 great. was not Avril. That was more like 1920, okay? I was past that. <laughs> I'd already gotten rid of the nose ring and the, like, bleached hair and the studded belts by 25, okay? Um, but I did have a phase. No, I'm thinking about, like, going into yoga at 25 and thinking, like, how – I'm going to use the word addicting, but how addicting it felt so quickly to me, um, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in a high stress environment, high stress, you know, parent, um, living in New York city. And then I had a high stress job in advertising. I mean, it was just high stress, high stress, you know, basically activation constantly. And yeah. the idea of like, quote unquote, relaxing was just never something that even, I don't even think I was ever talked to about, honestly. And then at 25 going in and starting yoga and getting so addicted to almost like the high that I would get after the come down and the shavasana and just that like you would leave and you would be floating. Um, and I had never experienced that before. And just in the way that you're talking about it, I'm starting to understand like that was so much of my body being able to go into those the step three and step four that I had never mm -hmm. experienced prior. And I'm also wondering, and I guess you can, maybe this is a question for you. Can somebody experience a step three and a step four of a prior activation, right? Which is really the hope of the trauma work. Um, so yeah. that we, is that how we complete that loop in the, in the, Absolutely. the processing, I suppose, of the trauma? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I'm going to throw in a, a tricky little thing too, Vanessa is, you know, did you have to work your way up to a certain decibel 
again, of, mm-hmm. of, in the yoga, in the movement, in the like, t- you know, the toughness of the action in order to quote unquote deserve or be able to go into the rest. Did we have in to the beginning? push ourselves? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. I know now that. I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, now it's no. like what Danae was saying. I, I, the kind of movement I crave is very different than the kind of movement yeah. I craved 25 to maybe yeah. 30, you know? Yeah. Well, I think what so many of us find as we go into meditation or we go into yoga or we go to a, into a bathtub or we go into a garden, a sauna is, or garden, yeah. a sauna is how fast we interrupt our own process of peace. Mm-hmm. our own places of stillness, our own possibilities of rest. And, um, you know, for me too, like I had to, in order to rest or deserve rest, uh, both on the emotional, mental, and physical realm, I had to exhaust myself, burn myself out to get to what I thought was relaxing, which was really just collapse. Yeah. And and it took me a long time to learn the difference between deactivation, restoration, and then collapse. I thought collapse was those two things. And it turns out it is quite different. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'm just like, I'm, I'm watching I'm your processing wheels turn. what you're saying. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated because I, I'm really, I'm fascinated by things I've heard people say lately about the ways that we um, recreate trauma and that we recreate mm-hmm. those, those that like sensation of chaos and that that can be something that is soothing. And I watch that play out sometimes. And that like, I think people will speak to it as like, um, like really struggling with being bored and what Mm -hmm. like boredom is like relaxation Mm -hmm. or peace or like maybe like that thing of like sitting in the bathtub and like being present with myself that you're describing. And um, I don't even know like what my question is, is that I'm just like, I'm really like processing things that have come up with clients that I'm like recognizing as what you're talking about, as I'm hearing you say it, you know what I mean? Well, and yeah. Scott, would this I'm be, not, I mean, is this yeah. what cat- was your catalyst to write the book? Cause what we haven't talked about yet actually is you have a book called addiction to drama. Um, yeah. and I'm wondering, was that part of, is this like the catalyst for that, that book kind of what we're talking yeah. about? I'm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like as a kid, I would always say I'm bored, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. And what that was code for, but I didn't know that was code for was it's too scary to relax and settle and and there's not enough stimulus. Mm -hmm. I need more stimulus. And so my way of addressing it was to go seek or create the stimulus needed to avoid what would otherwise be present in the space where just underneath the boredom, which was the trauma I never processed, which was the gap of where I was of absolutely not present in myself and had dissociated and all the things stored there in its place. And um, yeah, it was absolutely a catalyst. And, you know, we have this really cool thing called the relaxation reflex, which is we start to relax for some of us and there's a whole cascading process. And we then go, Oh, our breath deepens. And then we have a little more weight and there's more, uh, there's vasodilation. So there's more blood flow through our body and there's this whole process, but we also have something called an activation reflex for some of mm-hmm. us, which is we start to settle or find a little peace or stillness and something inside says danger, danger. Mm-hmm. And we'll go seek or create or manifest a story or pull in a memory or think about work on Monday or whatever it takes to avoid that settling. Because again, in the settling, 
we come into that third stage of the stress response, which is the rest, digest, deactivation, where we're more vulnerable to the emotions that we most likely have not processed. Yes. It, it, this is kind of blowing my mind because like the way that I process so many things, because I, I work primarily with couples, is that I, I see things relationally and I'm just so mm -hmm. struck by like how often I'll be sitting with people and it's like, it's like you want drama. Like it's like yes. you want to be in chaos. Yes. Like, it's like you don't like this could be so much easier than you're making yeah. it. But what I'm realizing is we're like defending against that a lot of times because mm -hmm. it's like there's a discomfort in something that feels healthy or that feels mm -hmm. peaceful, but yes. I can't stay there. Do you know what I yeah. mean? I know <laughs> like, exactly what you mean. Wow, that's, yeah. yeah. And you know, when chaos is the relational currency for feeling love, yes. that's yes. also, we're going to fucking reenact it. Vanessa, yes. you know what oh, I mean? I <laughs> we grew up in the same household. Um, <laughs> I'm your mom. <laughs> Yeah, mom. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it's like, goodness. I grew up in chaos. Yeah. I grew up in a lineage of chaos. And, you know, to the best of a lot of people's capacities, that is what was there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And to be seen and to be heard, you, I would do things like fake being sick or you know, or, and I, I don't mean like, oh, I would just fake stuff. I would actually then feel it. I would manifest it. I would create a certain level of, I would call stress to feel diseased. Mm -hmm. um, and that would attract tension. Oh, oh, wait, you'll actually give me more hugs when I'm not feeling better than when I tell you I got a B on my test. Okay, well, I'm going to go fail more classes. I'm going to go um, stir shit up with my sister and fight more. Because at least some attention is it feels better than maybe a dismissal or not enough presence in other places. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. fuck yeah, I'm going to reenact that currency. Hmm. And also for those of us who have a propensity for drama, which is surprisingly a lot more than um, not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or all of yeah. us. I'm just going to fucking say it. Yeah. If you're listening, you got an addiction to drama. No, you have some propensity because we all do. If you've ever interrupted your own peace with a story, a thought, mm. um, if you've ever walked down the street and realized you were rushing for no reason, that is the same mechanism. If you've ever overscheduled yourself and then complained about it, that is the same mechanism. Yeah. So we all personally have this attacked. way of <laughs> And you are being personally attacked with love, with love. Okay, okay. And it's even if you've ever like been obsessed with an unavailable person, oh, when right. there are 50 million people who would be hungry to be present with you. That is like you Same cultivating idea. that. Mm -hmm. I said I didn't want a therapy session, okay? <laughs> Stop talking about my current relationship. We're all attacking each other right now. That's <laughs> I, see, I see you, you see me is what I'm, what I'm yeah. getting. Yeah. Hello. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. It's like, what are the ways we just don't allow for that suddenly and that ease in our lives? And it's so much. We have such sophisticated ways and ways of projecting it and blaming it on other people. Like, oh, there's always something against me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, that's such a common phrase. Oh, it's always something. Ooh, that always something is you. Yeah. <laughs> You're the common it's, denominator. You're the <laughs> common denominator. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to see that because we are not only protecting 
the ways in which we avoid stillness, but protecting what's underneath it. Mm. Hmm. And so this is a lot of protection mechanisms helping us avoid and, and avoid mm -hmm. the underlying trauma. And so drama is a great way of doing just that. We stir the drama to avoid the trauma. Thank God you out here, Scott, because a lot of people need your support. Yeah, we do. I'll put myself in there as well. Same. Um, I mean, what do we do? Like, yeah. how do we, I mean, obviously, you know, Danae and I have our thoughts, but like this idea of specifically that, like, how do we become aware enough and start to build the tools to, to, geez, get rid of this addiction to drama that we have? Oof. It's, it's not easy because yeah. there's a lot of things of like, I know for me, it's like, I, I used to work in the arts um, as one of my many jobs. I used to direct operas and, and perform. And um, I, when I was leaving, that is one of the professions I left for some time. And I remember going, ooh. And one of the reasons I left is because it was a constant feed of drama and chaos mm -hmm. and crisis and stress. Like, if you, if you want that you go work in the arts <laughs> if you want constant judgment and fear of what comes next and you know if you're looking for anxiety that's a, a, a <laughs> profession i would recommend um and i was done with that mm -hmm. in my late 20s i was like i don't i need a break like i'm gonna kill myself i mean i'm gonna die under this under this um amount of of tolerance I built up for stress and all the things I was doing were so high level to then get some type of hit from it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's such a, a quintessential thing about addiction is we get a tolerance level and we don't think, you know, like I used to think that my tolerance level for stress was my capacity to hold it. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize was I was just numb until the point where the threshold was hit and then I would feel something which would make me feel alive. And so like leaving the arts, leaving these places of stress, I was like, oh, I'm not going to feel alive anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to matter anymore. I'm not going to be important because all of these things uh, that were really un like childhood feelings of like being, I'm not important. Um, I'm going to be left aside and abandoned and, and die really were, were, um, would come out whenever I would start to give up the drama. Like, oof, if you're not, if you're not in the arts, if you're not um, coaching everyone else's problems, if you're not being the rescuer, if you're not being the stirrer, whatever it is, then what is your purpose and your value in this life? And you might as well be dead. That, that was the internal thoughts that would come. So it was so hard to give up. I really, truly had to let myself die. That, and I mean that both literally and figuratively. And I had an experience where I died in my late twenties for a few minutes and it was like a reset. It was a huge fucking wake up call mm. of going, this was too much. I, I OD'd on all, not physical drugs, but the emotional drug of stress mm. to which point I literally went into cardiac arrest. Mm. And on that happy note, let's I figure know. out how to fix this shit. <laughs> Well, I say that to people. I mean, when I'm even when I'm doing the codependency work, I, I yeah. the phrase that I use frequently is doing the thing that's so mm. uncomfortable 
it makes you want to rip your skin off or so uncomfortable that you literally want to throw yourself off a building. And I always say, I'm like, that sounds dramatic, but it's not. It will actually feel like doing this thing, like setting a boundary, even though it sounds silly when you're in the moment, if that's your bag, if that's the thing you struggle with and you know, that's what you got (laughs) to, you know, work on, it's going to feel like you're going to die if you do it. And that is your body. I mean, your body really makes you feel like if I do this thing, I will be annihilated, you know? And yeah. So part of it is really moving through and and doing it so that you know on the other side, oh wait, I'm still here. Yeah. I didn't die, yeah. right? I can do this yeah. thing. Um, yeah. But even now, I know even for me personally, you know, 15 years into doing this work, there are still things like that that bring up a feeling of, I can't do this yeah. thing or I'll die. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And when it's resting or settling or finding ease that makes you feel like you're gonna die, mm-hmm. oof, it's so tricky. Mm-hmm. It's so tricky. And so many of us have that on such a level that we don't recognize until we pointed out of like, hey, I'm just curious. Like, I know you were just relaxing for a moment in this beautiful garden. Why are you talking about your mother-in-law all of a sudden? Or why are you thinking about work tomorrow? And it, and we have to kind of point it out in, in that way. Um, you know, I think one of the first things that we do to help us heal is to recognize where are we revving ourselves up or getting revved up? So where are we creating more charge or activation than is necessary? So it's like, oh, do I need to be thinking about this story right now? And what is it doing in my physiology? Oh, it's making me hot and bothered just like a stress response. But I stirred that, I created mm. that. Or I'm in this argument online, I'm, 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 in a troll fight. Is that what they're called? I don't actually go online. <laughs> troll fights? I don't know. I'm sure. uh, doom scrolling or like troll. Yeah. Fi- I'm like leaving notes and I'm like, you know, like someone left this really awful note the other day to me. And I started writing a response and I was like, what's happening in my mm-hmm. response? And I was like, oof, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm not going to do that to them in the response. And it's not necessary. It's absolutely not necessary. So I'm walking away from all the ways I'm revving up. I'm walking away from the, like the unnecessary stories I'm creating because drama is the unnecessary turmoil in our lives created through exaggeration and intensification. Mm. Yeah. So all the ways I rev myself up or get revved up. And when we can start to, um, recognize where that's happening, we can start to stick a wedge in between the moment, the impulse to do it and the action of doing it. Because in that space in between is where we get closer and closer to ourselves, the very thing that's being avoided. And then we, when we start to be able to attune more towards ourselves Mm -hmm. underneath the reflex that are inherent in this addiction to trauma or attention or attachment to stress, then we start to dive into the things that have been avoided. So that's Mm -hmm. when we start doing the trauma work of going, Ooh, let's finish or complete that stress response that never happened. Let's metabolize this feeling that never could, that no one was around to hold before. Mm. And then we got, we have a few more stages of like reestablishing what is relationship. Mm-hmm. because when we have an addiction to drama, one of the things that isn't true across the board in all my research is relationship is 
such a depository, a place to stir uh, that drama up to avoid oneself. And so that becomes part of the relational mm -hmm. dynamics, yeah. our jealousy, our fighting. Um, first of all, being a couples therapist, God bless you. <laughs> Say it to her all the time. God bless Fuck, you. I would never. And to all those couples out there who I've worked with, sorry. Sorry, no, um, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. Same, same drama. Same I love the drama at the time, but I'm done with that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's like watching a tennis match. And I don't know, like I, I very much have um, an ability, not in my own life, but as I'm yeah. watching people's drama to not like feel like I'm in it with them. Yeah. And mm. Vanessa will talk all the time about how like it brings up a somatic response in her. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I don't have it. I just like feel like it's fascinating. I'm like, oh yeah, I see, you, I, I see you. Like I see you too, both activated. You know, who have that ability to to keep that distance. You know, and there could yeah. be a whole myriad of reasons. It could be just how you're this association, probably your ability to dissociate. <laughs> yes. I mean, but in this regard, it's yes, that's necessary. Real. You know, um, and for whatever reason, like maybe just Scott and I don't have that kind of ability. I mean, but we need it. You know, couples obviously that need trauma it. response that I have. Yeah, well, well, right. I used to use so a tear. I used to be so specific when couples would come in and I would look at what was their own natural pacing and sense of time. Mm -hmm. And is there on the Venn diagram of time signatures? Because again, I was a dancer, like mm -hmm. I was registering their sense of time. If there was a, in the Venn diagram, any overlap of time signatures, how fast they move, how fast they process their speed of talking, all of those, I would work with them. If there was no overlap of time, I said, I can't help you. And I think you're fucked. <laughs> I would say it more nicely than that. But that was like my filter, which is You are like, brilliant. Your mind is just like, wow. I'm like, it's fascinating. Why do you think that is? I mean, like, do you think if like you can't find that overlap, then like it's it's just a constant. It's never going to like it's, work out. Yeah. yeah to me, like relationship is about space, chaos, yeah. like how we navigate space and how we navigate time. And I know mm -hmm. like that's really didactic and it's boiled down. There's a lot more about vulnerability and love, but you know, when you grow up very dissociated on the spectrum, things are easier <laughs> like time and space to, to be able to observe than, than connection and, and feelings. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. But even if, as you say it, if we're like seeking harmony, like there's something yeah. in what you're saying that feels like musical and it there is, is. it's like, you're not like in that space of attempting to be in the dance and create mm -hmm. music with the other person if yeah. you're just in that space of like demanding that you be heard so like actually as you speak to it it makes a lot of sense to or me. if you can i mean to your point scott like what yeah. you said like if you grow up you know like on the spectrum or there are certain yeah. abilities or inabilities that we might have that it's mm -hmm. no fault to the other person or to ourselves but we just might not be a good match in that way mm -hmm. um yeah. no matter how hard we try right yeah totally yeah, yeah. And, and part of my own interest in this lifetime has been expanding my range in a lot of ways, but expanding my range of time, being more comfortable with like a slower time, mm -hmm. being more comfortable with a lot of space with someone who had a lot more anxiety when, when there was too much space between me and someone else growing more comfortable with space has expanded my range as a practitioner, but certainly will one day be expanding my range as a lover. <laughs> Vanessa. Um, <laughs> totally. Get me saying your name to make it awkward again. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to stir shit up. 
She has a lack of compassion for those who need a lot of closeness. Yes, I see why you said Vanessa. I'm a little avoided. You You can call her out. This is this is actually it's no longer cheaper than therapy. The show is called The Call Out Tower. That's what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. It's the, the shit stirring hour is what it's the called. The shit stirring hour. It's true. So, uh, well, I feel well, like we could have you stir shit you for hours. Shit. Um, you just, I'll come back anytime to stir some shit up. We love it. Well, <laughs> Vanessa, I heard a rumor that you might be in LA, so we might have to um, try to wrangle you for some shit stirring while you're here and maybe make a laugh. It's live true. It's true. We might all be in the same state at one time. Let's do yeah. it. Well, you are a treasure, Scott. Um, oh, I'm you're just, a fucking treasure. I'm so excited to meet you. And and I this is one of those episodes where we got to tell people at the beginning to have a pen and paper because I didn't have one. And there were several things you said that I wish I could have written down. So I will when I go back and listen. But thank you for all of this wisdom. Um, we have a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, lo- I love the intensity of a lightning round. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? I have healed my addiction to drama, but not all of it. <laughs> um all right so the first question i'm like forgetting the first question um the first question is who have been your greatest teachers mentors people who have impacted your path up to this point whether they're people you know or just their work has really impacted you wow um is the lightning round of it that you just ask me a lot of questions or that i have to speak really fast you have to speak fast okay um (laughs) fuck uh you you all of you both of you all of you who are listening I love you. You're the best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Bonnie Bainbridge Cone, who created a thing called Body Mind Centering, um, has been one of the biggest teachers of my life. And um, that was, so when I was 16 and had to uh, go into that class, it was a class called Body Mind Centering. And so like Mm. her work was was like my rebirth into this Mm, world. Um, And I think it's incredibly powerful and nuanced and complex and I, I, she's been, I, I then did the training program with a 10 year training program with her starting at 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I, she, I grew up with her Yeah. in my rebirth. Um, so that's, uh, that's who, um, I feel like I should say a lot more people. Um, uh, no, I'm going to stick with that and just <laughs> say there are other people. Yeah. yeah. We're going to stick with her. She deserves okay. the credit. <laughs> okay so this idea of you know people talk about this idea of flow right like that thing that mm-hmm. you could be doing where you blink your eyes and six hours goes by you know just being in that mm-hmm. very present authentic state what is that for you mm-hmm. where do you find that mm. you know i used to do flow research as an <laughs> academic <laughs> so I love this of course you did <laughs> that was and uh michael took you behind sleep me behind is me. the question scott do you sleep ever? no I do no. not sleep. No, I, I do think, not. I, and I get really mad when I hear podcasts about how important sleep is. And I'm just like, you know what? Mind your business. <laughs> yeah, I don't sleep that much either. I'm like, yeah, everybody's different. Please don't, <laughs> don't, don't like, make you me don't cry. Shaming I... me for my sleep. <laughs> Listen, I'm a Taurus and all I want is sleep. And I have a three-year-old. That's the only thing I don't get. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not about me. I'm just I'm, I'm feeling my feelings It is right about now. you. Wait, do I do I get to ask you a lightning round of questions nope. after this? <laughs> nope. Flow state. Oh, go. I, I I hate not being the host. Okay. <laughs> okay. Flow. Um. Uh. So traditionally, uh, 
I will say what traditionally is and then what it is for me. You know, okay. the, the traditional idea is that when the amount of effort and the amount of skills collide mm-hmm. and it is this effortless effort. Yeah. Um, and that that's a great definition. I, I, I think that's a very westernized deconstruction mm-hmm. where to me flow is re-entering into the rhythms uh, that are innately part that are, you know, whether we think about it as quantum physics or from a non-dual Kashmir Shaivism tradition of in the yoga lineage or yoga philosophy, whatever it is, it's like there's an innate pulse of life mm. and flow is being willing, vulnerable, able to be able to coast within it, to, to ride the waves, the fluctuations of life uh, within the pulse of it. Mm-hmm. What is that for you, though? What do you find yourself doing when you're in flow? Writing, talking, reading? No, I (laughs) definitely not sleeping. I think I honestly, without sounding absolutely conceited, I find more and more my life has been that state. So Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning, it was more of a like a spice where I'd be like, oh, this is what it feels like. I feel well. I feel dimensional yeah. for one. I feel belonging. I feel mm-hmm. connected. Um, and and I feel um, like a certain rightness, not mm-hmm. in the world, fuck that, but a rightness in, <laughs> in me in relation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it and it to me there's a way in which I used to imagine it was an imagery practice I used to do of like Okay, so I would spend a lot of time feeling my own pulsation, my own rhythms, my own mm-hmm. breath, if that's an yeah. easier place to start. And then I would attune my attention to nature or to the the pulse or timing of the room. That's easy to do as a dancer when you're looking at all these time signatures. Mm-hmm. And I imagined like a doorway where I would walk into it, where I would become part of it without getting lost in my own individual experience. And so like I would do that as a daily meditation mm-hmm. of like walking, literally entering into the slipstream hmm. of life. Obsessed. And so Yeah. Love you wanna it. you wanna slip into the slipstream together? <laughs> I'm gonna use that as a as a like pickup line. Yeah, no. no, no <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that was just was. I I don't know what's that not clear what... about that. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Well, shifting. Um, <laughs> yeah, major, majorly shifting for our third question. This one. Okay. Cool. What breaks your heart, Scott? Uh, I know. From slipping. To- <laughs> what breaks my heart? It's such a good question. Um, kind of everything, but I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I, first of all, I like being able to feel things. <laughs> Having spent so much of my life not, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, um, like a, a a friend a friend meeting didn't happen. That kind of breaks my heart. Like mm. you know, like I was really longing for that connection and it didn't happen. I, I'm not devastated by it, but um, I, I think it's just like uh, there's something a little ping that reminds me that I'm alive, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I appreciate that after feeling numb and dead for so long, or like a walking yeah. ghost. Um, also, Pixar movies. Fucking Pixar movies on airplanes, on airplanes. Do not do it to yourself. 
done it. It's horrible. Sobbing oh, in the seat by man. myself. Everyone looking at me. Oh. watching an animated movie. I feel like you're legitimately <laughs> Vanessa Soulmate. <laughs> Vanessa, we know this. I remember flying back from a job. Like when I, I lived in Indonesia for some time. And I remember it's a long ass flight. Yes. Okay. And I just lined up the Pixar movies. I felt like I was I was working for so many so much and I didn't have time to process. And I was like, maybe I just need a really good cry. And I, I, I just lined up like five Pixar movies and cried for like twelve hours straight. People kept coming over, they're like, Are you okay? And I was like, I'm great. I'm feeling like alive. It's just, it's just Coco. It's so sad. It's just Coco. My oh heart my is my heart is reopening. He's he is me. <laughs> I um I and I have stopped watching Pixar movies, but I like I was on a flight addiction I think to last last week. It is my addiction to drama. I just need to feel alive, okay? I need any sensation. <laughs> you wanna get into a fight? Fine. You wanna have a nice conversation as long as there's gossiping. No, just kidding. Um I, I was on a flight, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago, and I watched a, 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 a movie. Like It was probably like an, I don't know, it was a Marvel movie. I don't mm-hmm. even remember what the movie was. It was It's not important. Again, crying. crying. I mean, I've read the studies on it. Fuck. That breaks. Uh, uh, so airplane movies break my heart. Got it. <laughs> Beautiful. It just took same, me 20 same. minutes to get there. <laughs> same, same. Okay, we're going to end same, on this same. one. Oh shit! What's your, I'm what's sa- your favorite I'm food? Sad as- um, well, first of all, what also breaks my heart is endings. Oh. Oh. Okay. Uh, my favorite food is um, whatever Gwyneth Paltrow is drinking. I mean, <laughs> I really like bone. We all want a little bit of that. What a- <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a little article for Goop. Uh, and I was hoping like it would stir into like them emailing and being like, Hey, do you want to do a podcast with Gwyneth and just drink bone broth? To which the answer is yes, world. I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Manifest into reality. Her performance in that, um, that court case also <laughs> had, I watched it on an airplane would have broke my heart with open with such, uh, such, such laughter. Uh, Am I allowed to say all this? I'm going to say all this. I'm stirring. Gwyneth, call me. I want to drink bone broth with you. I love bone broth is the answer. Okay. Um, Just ginger with bone broth. It's my favorite food. I don't don't know. (laughs) I mean. I'd love to say something like greasy fried donuts, but I wake up and I crave bone broth. And. Fascinating. Maybe You're talking to two vegan. people who don't eat meat. That's fascinating. <laughs> Look, I was vegan for twenty some broth. years, and okay. now I crave bone broth. And now you just crave bone broth. <laughs> oh my god! Oh Scott, please it. come back again. Yeah, this isn't goodbye. <laughs> this is until next time because part we're not one. done with you. <laughs> part one, part two will be next. We'll let you guys know when he'll be back. We'll we'll let you know. We'll send up a a, a red flag flare. Yes. <laughs> tell uh, tell our people where they can find you. Um, it's, uh, yes, people can find me. Um, I have a, I have a couple stalkers. So whenever anyone asks me that, the first thought is them. Uh, the, no, it's okay. It's handled. It's under okay. control. Okay. Um, but for me. those of you who are wanting to find me and appropriately, appropriately, 
Um, no, uh, on Instagram, I'm uh, at Dr. Scott Lyons. On, uh, I, I don't think I'm on Twitter. I um, don't know it's what that is. It's not even Twitter actually. anymore. It's called X. <laughs> it's okay. called X? <laughs> okay, you'll have to tell me the story of that yeah, later. Yeah, I'm we'll, so we'll, out of the We won't go there right now. Look, folks, I'm not on Twitter or X Good. or XXX okay. X or OnlyFans. You can't find me on any of those anymore. <laughs> um, but I am on my website, which is www. It's important to put the www in yes, there sometimes. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, DrScottLyons.com. <laughs> and um, I hear I have a TikTok page um, where my niece puts videos about me on um, line. I love your I, niece I already. Um, and your book? Give us, give us the full name because I didn't do the subtitle. By the way, my niece is very smart and I changed, I had to change names and people's uh, uh, positions or they couldn't be known in my book, which is called Addicted to Drama, uh, Healing the Dependency on Crisis and Chaos in Yourself and Others. So it's not just about our own personal addiction. It's for all the people who are around you who are addicted to drama, which is everyone as well. Mm -hmm. um, so my niece called me about three weeks ago and she goes, I read your book. I see where you changed my name in the book. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and your mother signed a form that said you can't sue me. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she is a smart, little, brilliant human being who is I mean, maybe dropped in the book a few times with her own addiction and drama because she's a teenager. Listen, yeah, like there's some real. genetic component to that brilliance. <laughs> oh, I passed it on. Wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got it. We got it. Oh, Scott, thank well, you so much. Thank yes. you, my friend. Cannot wait to read it. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I look forward to when we get to connect again. Part, yeah. part two. Part two. Part deuce. All right, deuce. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com